Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-eds and weird debates. This particular edition of the Skewer was recorded at Cafe Mustache in Chicago on August 7th, 2019. Ooh, do enjoy it. Let's put our hands together for White Claw Summer, everybody. It's White Claw Summer. It's the summer of White Claw. We hydrate, we drink, we hydrate, and then we have a nice LaCroix, and we hydrate more, and we go to sleep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Skewer. I'm your temporary host, your stand-in host, Devin Price. Welcome. Thank you. Yes. And this is The Skewer, a monthly... I, I put, like, news review in here, and I'm like, that sounds so, like, corny. I don't know. <laughs> like, news review, comedy show, podcast, debate, fake news quiz experience, where we take the news of the prior month, and we line it up, and we skewer it, and then it turns to dust, as all things do, with time, and it dies, and then at some point, we die. Welcome. <laughs> Uh, this show has been going on for how long is it now, Tom? A while. A while. A couple. A couple years. Nearly yeah. Four? Oh, nearly four years. Wow. Holy shit, you guys. And it's really been in. Yeah. Let's put that together. Let's 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 celebrate that and honor that. And I would say that uh, the the way that we've dealt with the news of the past of each ensuing month that the skewer has like varied in terms of tone, in terms of like maybe some degree of goof-assery a few years ago to, like, descending levels of bitterness and, and despair, but, like, just trying to stay effervescent at the same time, uh, even though that's often kind of impossible. It's a bitter month this time, so I'm going to talk about some things that I'm bitter about before we get to some op-eds about things that we're probably bitter about as well. <laughs> Looking back at this past month, past month, I am uh, deeming July the July of letting things slide, and I don't mean in a fun, flirty, wild claw summer way of like, oh fuck, Udion has not at work has not answered an email in two weeks. I really want to give him some shit about it, but it's wild claw summer. Let's just let it slide. Let's let him ha take care of himself. Let's not like make workaholism worse. Let's let it slide. I don't mean it in that way, uh, even though that also happened too. July, <laughs> and, and God bless Udion for it. Uh, but this was also July, let it slide 2019, the month of letting really heinous behavior go unpunished. So for example, this July, the Hayden Planetarium announced that famed astronomer and not quite as famed sexual harasser Neil deGrasse Tyson would be keeping his job. Uh, the planetarium conducted a lengthy investigation uh, of sexual misconduct, in interviewing several of the women who had publicly accused Tyson of harassment and assault, and then announced simply and without detail uh, last month that the investigation had concluded and that Tyson would be keeping his job. No details about what they concluded, just we're done, he's good. Um, how does a planetarium conduct a sexual harassment <laughs> investigation? Police departments are, are already so bad at it. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine how people with even less relevant training, how badly they would be at it. But you know, like, which astronomer is in charge of interviewing victims? Uh, did that astronomer, whichever one it was, have the same amount of low-quality people skills as Neil deGrasse Tyson himself? 
who this week responded to mass shootings by tweeting about how uh, technically, um, if you look at it, uh, driving a car uh, is a lot more uh, likely to statistically kill you than a mass shooting. So I don't understand why people are being so uh, irrational. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're so concerned about. Which telescope is used to determine if five victims who came forward independently of one another across a period of many different years and attested to a pattern of behavior are lying? How does a team of science nerds and docents make sense of any of this information? Can you call it an investigation if you just kind of talk to your work friends and decide that you have the back of your charismatic buddy who's very public-facing? I guess fucking so. Let it slide. 2019. Lots of people were giving their buddies a pass this month. Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who this month described Supreme Court justice and rapist Brett Kavanaugh as, quote, a very smart, very decent individual. Ginsburg was at a Duke Law School event this past month when she stated that the appointment at Kavanaugh was, quote, a highly partisan show, and that she hoped that, quote, patriots on both sides of the aisle would step up and reject the dysfunction surrounding confirmations moving forward. I know we're supposed to be very happy that Ginsburg is alive and find it very uh, girl boss badass that she can smite her enemies by smiling and being diplomatic and waiting for their bodies to just like drift down the river. (laughs) But I'm starting, you guys, to think that our civility-loving grandma is not going to save us. And that maybe she'd rather avoid making anybody uncomfortable Uh, and not call them a rapist rather than uh, ruin Christmas dinner for anybody. And really, honestly, if being the bigger person means letting that much slide, I want to be infinitesimal. I want to be a microorganism that can osmosis Jones my way into giving Brett Kavanaugh an aneurysm. This was also a banner month for Quentin Tarantino, a man for whom millions of white men have let things slide since the first time he smeared his half-digested pastiche diarrhea across a 70-millimeter film strip, only for the late great editor Sally Menke to come and rearrange it into something coherent after the fact. (laughs) Thank you. Do we all know about Sally Menke? Anybody? She edited, like, all of Tarantino's films until Inglorious Bastards was the last one, and then she died, and if you can't tell that there was a precipitous drop-off in the restraint and coherence of his films after that, then you are every male bartender I have ever been friends with. (laughs) I will love you forever, Sally Menke, my angel in heaven, and I will spend the rest of my days performing curse magic that I found on Tumblr uh, to ruin Tarantino's life. Yes, Tarantino is back with a film that glorifies violence against women, anti-Asian racism, and romanticizes Tarantino's own public shaming for his involvement with Harvey Weinstein. And as usual, a lot of cinema fans are more than happy to hashtag let it slide in 2019. I don't ever want to let anything slide. I have so many feelings I could just explode with rage, and I just want to not participate in anything or be a human in any kind of way. Um, You guys ever just want to go apeshit? You guys want to go ape shit? I have this friend, Jessica, uh, who went to a therapist once because she wanted to go ape shit. She was filled up with feelings of anger, uh, primarily directed at men who had done various degrees of awful things to her. And her therapist told her to write down her feelings in a journal. So what my friend Jessica did was she created a murder book. <laughs> in which she carefully plans out elaborate torture scenes for each of the men that she loathes. 
Each death is layered and gruesome and often involves Jessica fantasizing about murdering the friends and loved ones of the man that she has a problem with, often in front of the man that she has a problem with, uh, right before their eyes. And Jessica also told me once that she writes out these murders over and over again, kind of tweaking the details, adding layers, uh, fantasizing about these murders and massacres over and over again until she gets it right. (laughs) My friend is very cool. <laughs> She's very creative. Um, I'm not going to even describe some of the massacres she's put into that book. I like kept putting details in and then taking them out because they were so heinous that I was that you guys were going to lose sympathy for Jessica as a character if I told you what her murders were like. Uh, and sometimes for offenses as minor as being mansplained to by a literature professor. <laughs> um, they were Tarantino-esque, some of the details. But my friend also volunteers as a rape victim advocate on the weekends. She's in hospitals, domestic violence shelters, people's houses and apartments, holding hands, crying with people, fighting with police investigators investigators who don't get it, fighting with people's boyfriends who don't get it. Uh, She does the work. Uh, She also writes grants for a nonprofit in an under-resourced rural southern area and will regularly just, like, sit her coworkers down to give them weird, like, lectures about, like, you need to know what Juneteenth is and... You know, and just won't let them leave the room until they like can solve a quiz about what Juneteenth is. So she doesn't let shit slide. And she fantasizes about doing murders every night before bed to calm down. <laughs> Anger so often covers grief. When we are angry, it's because we're holding on to the fantasy that something unfair will be rectified by other people. And we're disappointed because they're not doing it. Sometimes we're angry because we can't let ourselves be sad. We can't yet admit to ourselves that some people and some systems will always be evil. That some once beloved figures will never ever save us, don't even care about us. And so to move past that anger, that desire to go apeshit, uh, we have to actually mourn the high regard we once held them in. Sometimes it's better to grieve our delusions than it is to dwell in rage and expectation. Sometimes you have to kill the heroes in your dreams and move on, becoming the leader of your own life. And if no one else will stop the slide of shit, then we have to, as best we can, and hope that others will join us and that that will be enough. And we can also have petty fantasies about murdering people at the same time, and that's completely fine. Tonight we have op-eds from Devin Whitlock, Alex Morales, and Carrie Cook. Yeah! We have a fake news quiz hosted by Kevin Johnson, and we have a lovely... Yeah, put it together. And we have a lovely and topical debate featuring Kevin Fergus and Tom Harrison. Yeah, put it together. Uh, regrettably, one of our other op-ed columnists, Elena Ryan, will not be able to join us tonight due to some unavoidable personal circumstances uh, and will be missed, but that just means we get to be in our jammy jams and our little bootsies in bed maybe 10 minutes earlier. And so let's put our hands together for, for that. Not because we're sad that she's not, not because we're happy that she's not here, but because we do want to have our little bootsies in bed. Put your hands together for that. Ooh. Yes. All right, so first up, we're just going to dive into the fake news quiz with Kevin Johnson. Put it together, everybody. What'd you say? I don't know. Does this one work? Okay. Does it work? I can't hear. Okay. Cool. 
So usually I bring some on stage. Tom's looking. The, okay, he's looking. He's checking the the meter or whatever the fuck. I don't know. He looks. He looks. Whatever. I don't. The levels. I'm sorry. The levels. That is the more correct term. You got to have like one headphone on and talking about the levels and shit. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so usually I bring someone up on stage, and if there's a new person, I will do so. However, I will also allow you to do audience participation as a whole. So that collectively, maybe your minds can defeat this puzzle that I have made. <laughs> or maybe you'll just bring each other down. I'm okay with either. Okay. I don't know. Oh, wait. No, they did come on. They did come on, right? It's very difficult to see if there's lights or check if there's sound on me. Okay. <laughs> it's whatever. Anyway. So, do, does somebody new want to come on stage, or do we want the audience as a whole? The whole? Nobody's answering, so I'm choosing for you. Yeah, there you go. Teamwork, teamwork. If somebody does want to come on stage and just be like the audience's avatar, that's also cool. I don't give a shit. Anyway, okay. Do you want to? Wait. Consent is important. Do you want to? Okay. Hello. 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 Okay. Your is name is this working? Yes. I'm Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Cool. Okay. You, you, you are going to be the judge of what they say, and you're going to tell me ah, the ultimate thing, okay? okay? Cool. All right, the first story. This fall, Pampers is making a smart diaper. Don't know why. I don't know what that means, but it is happening. <laughs> story two. An Iowa official was forced to resign one day after pantsing an intern. <laughs> <laughs> story three. Oregon Republican Senator threatened state troopers, warns them to come heavily armed. Which one of those is true? False, yes. It's two truths and a lie. Okay. I was, I was tricking you guys. What, what, about, what about this side of the room? Y'all gonna say anything? They don't... I also agree that smart diapers are probably a weird thing that's true. Okay. Um... I'm going to say two. That's what everyone said. And <laughs> collectively, your minds have worked for one answer. Good job. <laughs> so, no, they did not pants an intern. He, got, he, he was forced to resign because he was sending a mass email of Tupac lyrics. <laughs> and, apparent, and he's been doing this for, like, for fucking ever. And he's like, it just annoys everyone. They're just like, oh, my God. It's just like this white middle-aged man that just loves Tupac. Because, you know, he, he was always in Congress. <laughs> yeah, White House. Okay, second set of stories. Story one. Brazilian drug trafficker tries to escape prison by disguising himself as a sex doll. Yeah. Story two. Venezuela, Uruguay, Japan warned citizens about traveling to the U.S. We, done, we fucked it up. We fucked it up. <laughs> Story three. A plane of... Uh, okay, that makes more sense. I, I, I gotta read it. Okay. 
So, uh, Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, his plane somehow contained 86 pounds of cocaine. <laughs> somehow. Which one of those is false? He did his little daughter. I said, I said a Brazilian drug trafficker, not no fucking R. Kelly type shit. God I'm damn. gonna say one. You're gonna say yikes. one. Okay, okay. You apparently you know something. <laughs> what you know, Ben? What you know, Ben? Tell us the story. He had like a mask and like pretended to be his daughter. Yeah, that's more or less true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, like, if you look at the picture, he's really bad at makeup, and so it made me yeah. feel like it was a sex doll. It was terrible. <laughs> look at that shit. He looks like a real doll or something. It's fucking terrible. Okay, so collectively, you've gotten this far, which is, I guess, something to be proud of. Set, st- set three, story one. Horns are growing on young people's skulls. Phone use is to blame, research suggests. Two. Pastor accused of sexually assaulting men claims he was sucking the demons out. I'm just going to say that's true. (laughs) Story three. Netflix cancels Good Omen series after Thousands Petition, the show. (laughs) You guys are fucking nerds. Yes. So, yeah, so it's kind of true, but kind of not. But yes, you're correct. Amazon, Amazon said on Netflix they would no longer produce the show that they don't make. And then also uh, Amazon said they would not be making Stranger Things anymore. There you go. So collectively, you did it. Which means... Oh, yeah, you came on stage. You can get, like, a sticker of the show you've never been to, never heard of. You did it. You did it. Thank you very much. You can put it on your other arm, and it's like a new tattoo. Devin, rescue me from the stage. I want to go home. I'm here. All right. Now it's time for op-eds, which are essays about things that people think about other things. The first op-ed columnist is Devin Whitlock. Uh, In parentheses, I wrote, The Good Devin. (laughs) I'm the mean one. Uh, Here's his bio for you. Devin Whitlock didn't have an all-white group of friends until college, which is when he started doubling down on the idea that the Bible is literally true. (laughs) And that's not a coincidence. He has since come to his senses on both counts. His work has appeared in Mel Magazine and Comicosity. He helps run the Chicago Public Library's Comics Book Club, which meets every third Wednesday at the Map Room Tavern. Put it together for Devin Whitlock. Oh. Happy Eid al-Fitr. Not going to be the last word I mispronounced tonight. We may be covering events in July, and Eid took place in June this year, but it has taken place in July in years past, and if that seems weird to anyone, I defy that person to explain to me how the date for Easter is determined. (laughs) Eid marks the end of Ramadan and is one of the few religious holidays where fasting is prohibited. Having a good time is encouraged. I wish I had more authority to speak on the rich history, culture, and tradition of it, 
but I wasted too much of my life making the typical white person mistake of treating my minority friends like my own personal Google. I first learned of this holiday in seventh grade when I did a class project on it with my best friend, who is Muslim. This was the same friend who had introduced me to comics in fifth grade. I owe him a lot. He stayed friends with me even after I subjected him to appalling questions about Islam in an attempt to fact-check outright lies I heard from several Christian pulpits. I don't recall any of those pastors or preachers issuing apologies, corrections, or retractions after I explained to them that they were wrong. <laughs> In the wake of 9-11, I willfully forgot everything my friend had taught me. One Sunday, I went to see a missionary speak. I should have known better than to listen to someone talk about Islam whose job description was basically get people to stop believing in Islam. <laughs> he covered a lot of subjects, including the history of the croissant, which he reframed as a victory of Christianity over Islam. <laughs> Long story. My only takeaway now is not to trust a church that serves croissants. A majority of white evangelicals think Muslims don't belong in America, and that's not just a statement of fact, it's a headline from Christianity Today from 2017. It's about the same percentage of white evangelicals that continues to support Donald Trump as president, surprising no one. The people trying to turn this country into a Christian theocracy are scaring people with the term Sharia law, deem Islam a false religion and paint it as imperialistic while sending missionaries all over the world to convert people. Islam gave the world math and astronomy and American evangelical Christianity denies geology and archaeology. <laughs> I'm half tempted to convert to Islam despite these people. The mosque would be justifiably worried that I'm an undercover FBI agent. <laughs> And if I managed to get through the conversion process, I'd probably be followed by an FBI agent. <laughs> Converting to Islam would make me less likely to engage in terrorism, as this country has had act after act of terror performed by white men, and none of them have identified as Muslim. People trying to cover up their own racism have asked me, how can you as a gay man support a religion that persecutes homosexuals? I have known gay Muslims trans Muslims, and queer Muslims. And, unlike my gay Buddhist, Catholic, and Christian friends, they have had the decency to leave me the hell alone about their personal faith. Seriously, everyone, stop trying to convert me. I'm glad, I'm glad you found something that works for you. Keep it to yourself. The most conservative Muslim friend I have reacted to my coming out by apologizing for anything homophobic he might have done while we were growing up, despite being owed an apology for my shitty behavior. And that is a damn better reaction than I got from any relative, and more understanding and compassion than I have received from almost every non-gay Christian I've ever told. I thought it would be a stretch to talk about this tonight, but of course July was a horrible month. On July 1st, it was reported the first Muslim American running for state senate in Virginia was threatened with lynching. One of the first Muslim women elected to Congress was singled out by a racist president with a racist chant delivered by his racist followers, the beginning of his energizing his base for re-election. A New Jersey school board member targeted Muslim congresswomen in hateful Facebook posts. 
A woman who spread rumors that Obama was a Muslim was nominated to be Treasury Department spokesperson. A man who compared Muslim women to mailboxes and bank robbers became the new British Prime Minister. Hell, while I'm standing here, news could break of something far worse. I subjected myself to all of the second Democratic primary debates this month. <laughs> and among 20 candidates across two nights, the only one to even mention ending the Muslim ban was Beto fucking O'Rourke. <laughs> Rami, Rami was robbed at the Emmy nominations, though it was one of the best shows of the year. There was no news about Ms. Marvel at San Diego Comic-Con, though Kamala Khan deserves a place in the MCU. Not a lot of comics nerds tonight. <laughs> I don't have time to get into the treatment of black Muslims or how no white people in this country know what Sikhism is. It doesn't stop in the United States either. Palestine and Gaza deserve to be free. India and Europe are persecuting Muslims. The Chinese government is separating families and putting Muslim children behind electric fences. I know that we are not blameless in this regard, which is one more reason why we need to end concentration camps in America. And I will stop calling them concentration camps when we stop putting people in cages because of their minority status in the first place. Will that stop the hand-wringing over semantics? When they cease to exist, I promise to never use the term concentration camp ever again. I'd like to propose we start holding Christians to the same standard that they want to hold Muslims. As long as a woman can't wear a headscarf or a man can't wear a kufi without getting sidelong glances, anyone wearing a cross should be suspect. It may not be much more effective than calling our elected officials, but it will make me feel pretty fucking good. <laughs> but I know violence isn't the answer, if only because it's too easy. <laughs> that took a second. <laughs> Mike Pence is one of the main reasons Donald Trump has evangelical support in the first place, and he stands idly by as the president incites hate crimes. If he were to commit an act of violence, he would suffer no consequences. Establishment Democrats would respond with a finger wag and an angry glare. I've had a short temper when dealing with these people because I'm angry at myself and who I used to be. I hurt too many people for too long and realized that too late. The Islamophobes who follow the current president are happy to hurt people, and I'm sure some don't think they hurt enough. I wish I could provide hope or a solution, but I am already accused of having a white savior complex enough and not without reason. <laughs> we need to abolish ICE and the prison industrial complex, lift the Muslim ban, and remind people that religious liberty does not extend only to white men who think women and queer people don't deserve rights and the earth is only 6,000 years old. On July 30th, Muslim Palestinian American Ibrahim Samira, a delegate to the Virginia General Assembly, disrupted a speech from Donald Trump with a sign that read in part, deport hate. As he later wrote in the Atlantic, we need to do what's right for our communities instead of what is polite to the powerful. Thank you. Devin Whitlock, everybody. Let's hear it for Devin Whitlock. Yes. He also has a very lovely essay on medium.com about queer themes in Aquaman that you should read because those are both great things that have not been combined. 
often enough. Our next op-ed columnist is Alex Morales. Alex Morales is an actor, improviser, and chef in the city. So if you need to cry, laugh, or eat in any particular order, he's your man. You can see him next at the school at Steppenwolf's Showcase tomorrow at 3 and 8 p.m. Follow him at, at Realities Hype Man. Real, real, yeah, Realities Hype Man. Yeah. On Twitter for musings on the intersection of sandwiches and theater. And thealexmorales.com for bookings. Put it together for Alex Morales, everybody. Thank you, guys. Um, I had a PowerPoint presentation, uh, but my computer doesn't have VGA cable because it was made recently. Um, so I'm going to read out the image descriptions, and you will... Uh, whoa, really? Word. And that is a taste of the emotional roller coaster you're about to go on. It's important to this that uh, I'm going to be in character, so I'm going to turn around. (laughs) I'm going to be someone different in a little bit. Yeah, he parts his head the other way. My Evil Plan by Professor Xavier Machina. Professor Emeritus, DeVry University. (laughs) I was this close! I was so, so close. So incredibly, agonizingly close. All of that time. All of those years I spent at evil science school dealing with the henchmen's union, the hand-wringing electives. I was so fucking close. And you guys probably had no idea. I mean, look, if you had one shot, <laughs> one opportunity to, to seize everything you ever wanted, would you, ca- no, no, like me, you'd probably just let it slip. <laughs> and I was close. Oh, I was so fucking close. I mean, on a cosmic scale, I was like fingernail close. I was between the earth and the moon. I was closer to the earth than a white girl taking shrooms for the first time. Image of a white girl with dreadlocks hugging a tree. The next part is my plan with an arrow pointing to it. Let me break it down for you. I am assuming you guys don't have degrees in evil science like me. Some of you might have studied economics. I was able to attract 130 meter, that's 425 feet, if you like freedom, image of an eagle with a ruler, (laughs) collision course into the planet, or very nearly. Again, I missed. As of July 2015, top two known impact risks are asteroids 2009 FD, which is a diameter of about a half kilometer, has a one in, pardon me, weight clause, right? <laughs> has a one in 340 chance of striking the Earth in 2185 or later. And Bennu, also about a half kilometer, one in 2700 chance of striking the Earth in 2175 or later. No one knew about mine. 
I was able to do it without anyone noticing. Because my asteroid came from the other side of the sun. <laughs> where we don't have a good count. Now, that's the thing about predicting disasters. You can't have eyes anywhere, and the brighter and flashier and more interesting something is, the harder it is to see around it. To test this on your own, next time the sun is out, go stare at it. <laughs> and it would have been awesome. Oh, it would have been cataclysmic. Why an asteroid? I know you're thinking that. And to that I say, what? You think you're better than the dinosaurs? Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> the Chelyabinsk meteor, which exploded over Russia in 2013, was only about 20 meters in diameter. Chelyabinsk is Russian for little bitch. Uh, <laughs> my asteroid, which they're calling 2019 OK. <laughs> now it would have actually done some serious damage. Leveling cities. It, it would have left my indelible fingerprints forever in the Earth's crust. Everyone would know the name Xavier Machina for at least a few hours. <laughs> now, mine wasn't even that big. Space is, is filled with these things. They are everywhere, flying around. They got nothing but time. They're playing the numbers game. There are so many of them, and they've gotten eons to sit and wait for our paths to cross. Now, before you go, I'll Neil deGrasse Tyson on me. Who, by the way, was actually my roommate at the Emerging Villain Institute and Laboratory. <laughs> or evil. Uh, yeah, like when more people die by the flu than asteroid strikes. Consider the asteroids have more time and energy than anything you will do. They're just doing their little dance in their little corner of the cosmos, waiting for us. Give us that final kiss. Kiss of death, I guess that's called. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> and again, no one knew about mine. Because as we discussed earlier, it's hard to see shit when the sun's in your eyes. The easier it is for something to creep up on you. Like a meteor, slowly, over hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, you might be saying, Professor Machina, to which I say, please call me X. Why are you telling me this? I've devoted my life to evil. It is my passion and my craft. And you need to understand how fucking cool it would have been. Oh, imagine... There would be uncontrollable forest fires. Pictures of California burning. Burning wildly from the impact. The ash it threw up would have caused severe changes in the weather. Three different articles about climate change. Cooling, heating, shifting temperature extremes. The particles in the air would have had to charge massive storms. Image of Texas underwater not two years ago. Collecting into clouds. Destroying cities. And if OA hit the sea, tsunamis, the coast would be gone. Picture of California slowly eroding into the sea. The smog would have choked people, making the earth uninhabitable. Picture of Beijing. Now, I'm no idiot. I'm a professor. And not to put too fine a point on it, 
but I put these pictures of things happening now to show that they are currently happening now. <laughs> but oh man, it's taken so long. Just so agonizingly long and the waiting 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 for the other shoe that we cobbled to drop is unbearable. Can't stand it. Now, my life coach, the next slide is of the tweet from Mike Gravel's campaign. (laughs) And I'll have to paraphrase here. But it is something to the effect of irony and humor are tools to skewer. Ha ha. The rich and powerful. Don't let it poison you because you will become useless and impotent in the face of unwavering and at times unbearable change. The next click reveals that there's an arrow with the words, my life coach on it. (laughs) My life coach has been telling me to practice mindfulness meditation and I guess it would be good for me to learn patience. So maybe it's okay that the world doesn't go out with a bang, but with a... You fuckers are lucky I missed because you never saw it coming. (laughs) Thank you. Alex Morales. Put it together for Alex Morales. Yes. And it's pretty fortuitous that he gave us alt text verbal descriptions of all of his slides because we are a podcast in addition to... That's right. Yay for podcasts. Yay podcasts. To help you feel like you have friends when you do laundry. I mostly listen to the Skewer podcast on SoundCloud, but I'm assuming it's in all the podcast places. iTunes, etc. The Napster app, (laughs) etc. Before we go on to our next op-ed columnist, I also want to remind everyone that in addition to having a podcast, we have a bucket for money to go into. So if you're enjoying the hard work that you're seeing so far, and you have money, and you feel guilty about having money, which, which don't you? You should. Give us a little money. Our next op-ed columnist is Carrie Cook. And I've written a note to myself that says, we're going to hear about Veronica Mars and the fall of Rob Thomas, parentheses, not the smooth one. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) All right. I should have known better than that. I'm a fool. I got so excited about Rob Thomas that I thought about, I forgot about being kind to other writers. (laughs) Uh, Carrie grew up in a small town in Indiana and went to a series of schools whose mascots were Abraham Lincoln, an angry dachshund, and a train, respectively. (laughs) I'd love to see those costumes. She majored in film, works in tech, and was four credits short to a post back in writing when her parents asked, do you need another degree for something you'll never get paid to do? What fuckers? Her other writing has appeared in Essay Fiesta, Misspoken, and probably the best live journal you have ever read. Put it together for Carrie Cook. Thanks so much. It's totally cool. I I am glad that you knew that Rob Thomas was uh, also in that show. Okay. Uh, Hello. Hi. 
uh, here to distract you from mass shootings and Mitch McConnell and his gang of teenage fuckwits. Uh, it's me uh, with the television beat. This is the third time I've done uh, the skewer, and I always end up talking about TV, so sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's also pretty fucking bleak, so here we go. Uh, on July 19th, Hulu dropped a new season of the early aughts cult favorite, Veronica Mars. After three seasons on UPN and The CW, it had the most successful Kickstarter campaign to date for a fan-funded movie, which debuted in 2014. All was quiet on the Veronica Mars front since then until last September when Hulu confirmed that they'd be releasing a new season. I am about to spoil this new season if you haven't seen it and don't want to be spoiled. Take this time to uh, go to the bar and get a drink from our friendly bartender and tip generously. I will not be offended. Uh, Okay. If you're unfamiliar, Kristen Bell plays the titular character, a high school girl who, in the early seasons, as the daughter of a fallen sheriff turned P.I., takes on the cases of her best friend's murder and her own rape, respectively. So it goes without saying, and without even touching upon her alcoholic mother, that Veronica has seen her share of trauma. This new season is an exciting one because, for the most part, the big mystery arc of the season has nothing to do with her or her dad going through emotional turmoil. They're just PIs solving a series of general crimes that happen to other people. How refreshing. And hey, Veronica even gets to experience joy when she both solves the crime and when she and longtime on-again, off-again boyfriend, high school bad boy turned naval intelligence officer Logan Eccles, finally get married. Hooray! For about five minutes, until her new hubby gets blown up by a car bomb intended for her. I told you I was going to spoil it. You could have gotten a drink. When asked... (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. When asked about why he chose to murder Logan and basically go full Joss Whedon on our asses... Creator and showrunner Rob Thomas, not Matchbox 20, Rob Thomas, a different one, said to Rolling Stone and Vulture, I feel like for this show to work as a detective show, it has to be with Veronica as a single woman. I think it's more interesting to write. The happy pairing off of the leads of the show usually marks the end of the show. How... Original. (laughs) The invoking of the Sam and Diane will-they-won't-they trope is so boring and such a lame excuse that it's barely worth acknowledging except to say how fucking lazy it is and that the main focus of Veronica Mars, the TV show, was never her relationship with Logan or any of her romantic partners. Thus, it is perfectly reasonable that she have a stable romantic relationship and still face complications in her other relationships or in her professional life, where she often finds herself, oh, I don't know, getting shot at, or the target of car bombs. I feel like that's probably dramatic enough to sustain a TV show. And hey, look, I'm a 34-year-old single lady, so I don't know, maybe some of you marrieds can tell me, Tom, when you, when you pop that ring on, does the relationship become instantly perfect? Or do you just have different problems? Problems that could maybe also be explored on a television program. 
while a character is also solving crimes and trying not to die. (laughs) Also, husband Logan is a naval intelligence officer. Hmm, gee, I wonder if perhaps he could be useful on a case. (laughs) Like maybe they could do an extremely cool modern noir version of late 70s, early 80s television classic Heart to Heart, which was about a wealthy couple who regularly found themselves working as amateur detectives in order to solve crimes. (laughs) It ran for over 100 episodes and had eight TV movies and a pretty great opening theme, which you should all look up after this. I think it could work. But it shouldn't come as any surprise that Rob Thomas couldn't see any solution other than to kill Logan and continue to traumatize Veronica. You show me a TV drama in the 2000s with a strong woman character and a male showrunner, and I'll show you a woman who either watched her boyfriend get murdered or probably should have done it herself. (laughs) CJ Craig of The West Wing's potential boyfriend gets shot at a convenience store during a robbery five minutes after kissing her for the first time. And how many of Detective Olivia Benson's boyfriends were accused of rape, were rape apologists, or were just extremely violent? The answer is all of them. And how many times does Olivia get kidnapped or sexually assaulted? At least once a season. Meanwhile, her partner, Elliot Stabler, gets to have a marriage and a family for his entire run on SVU and is never even kind of touched inappropriately. And of course, there's Buffy and Angel. My people, they're here. The TLDR on these crazy kids is that they fall in love, they have sex, and Angel turns evil, and Buffy has to kill him. So fun! Great and healthy lessons for teens about love and sex. It's no coincidence that Veronica Mars started the very next season after Buffy the Vampire Slayer was canceled on the very same network. Both are shows with strong women protagonists who are emotionally damaged loners, tasked with saving the day every week. Feminist on the surface, yes, but also with plenty of male gays and women in refrigerators and much more, oh, and, uh, and some gratuitous at best and narratively pointless at worst, rape plot lines. And why? Because it's much more fun for these fucking jackasses to use women characters to create emotional torture porn to jerk off to. Because the only way a woman is interesting is if she's single. And the only time she's pretty is when she's just about to cry, but her steely resolve only lets one single tear roll down her porcelain cheek, you sick fucks. (laughs) The writer of the Vulture piece acknowledges this, saying, In killing Logan, Thomas is also stopping Veronica from growing. The ending freezes her in time as the wounded and furious person she has always been. And you know what? That's fine. It's truly fine that Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman script suck balls, and, it, and that Aaron Sorkin can't write a woman really at all if she's not at work, and it's fine that Rob Thomas just doesn't see a world in which he can write another season of Veronica Mars where she's in any way happy or emotionally healthy. That's fine, because it's 2019, And I am so done trying to teach men how to do their fucking jobs. All I want, all I need, is for them to hand the laptop to a woman or non-binary person who already can. Carrie Cook, everybody. Carrie Cook.
everyone. I want to just say that I didn't have to reconstruct any bios for any performer in this show by Googling them and finding incorrect information <laughs> about shows that they used to host that ended two years ago in bars that don't exist anymore. <laughs> Every single one of our performers tonight sent me a bio on time. Can we celebrate that? <laughs> yes. Thank you, everyone. All right. So we are heading almost into the debate. But first, it's time for another fake news quiz with Kevin Johnson. Put it together. Devin is lying. I did not send a bio. <laughs> I said I don't have one. I don't do anything. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. <sighs> um, yeah. So it's, it's the same thing as last time, but, new, but there's new questions. Um, there you go. That was such a pity clap. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's your full feeling? Yeah. I wooed with my whole heart. You wooed with your whole heart. Okay. Anyway, I don't know what that means. Uh, you have elected to not have an avatar, which is fine. You will be represented by the light on the stage. It is also white. Uh, there you go. All right. Set one of your questions. First, Antifa or Antifa. Which one do we want? Like... Okay, Antifa. Antifa pros, protesters hurl quick dry cement at Portland police. That's story one. How dare you, sir? How dare you, sir? Please do lie. So that's, that's automatically true. Same thing. Anyway, second story. One in four food delivery drivers admit to eating your food. <laughs> Story three, for only $136 a night, you can stay in the real Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. <laughs> One, what do you say? Wooing with your whole heart, what do you say to that? Oh, no, no, I can't handle this kind of Do it! Okay, that's... All these people are saying one. And we still, we still kind of live in a democracy, so we're going to go with that. Oh, what? Yeah, Okay, it's on Airbnb. It is. It does exist. You can do it. You can do it if the, the time space allows, I guess. But yes, the first one, Antifa, is that's fake. We didn't throw. We, nobody's throwing no quick dry cement. It was actually just vegan milkshakes. But ultimately, what's the difference? I don't know. That's a joke for the Chicago diner. <laughs> <laughs> Topical. Okay. Set two. Story one. Justin Bieber wants to fight Tom Cruise. I don't care if that's real or fake. I love it. Story two. Black 10-year-old charged with a felony for picking a white kid last for basketball. You're like, that's, that's how fucked up the news is. You're like, damn, it's possible. 
Story three. An anaconda in the U.S., presumably tired of men, has impregnated herself and given birth without male contact. That's possible. I think. Anyway. Ooh, people are very silent. They don't... You say two. Are you the leader now? What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? No, no. You were technically right in the first part. I mean, that story probably also exists. But no, that's... That's, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. There's a 10-year-old kid charged with aggravated assault for hitting a kid with a dodgeball in a dodgeball game. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yes. Coincidentally, you have it. You got it right. <laughs> okay. Third set of stories. All right. We'll keep you back on track. All right. Story one. A woman named Marijuana Pepsi earns her PhD with a dissertation on uncommon names. (laughs) That's not how this game works. (laughs) What? I know, but this... Okay. Story two. I don't know what's happening anymore. Story two. HBO had to edit out 80 dicks from one scene in Euphoria... Story three, after too many prank calls asking if his refrigerator's running, a man threw his, that appliance down a mountain. I haven't watched Euphoria yet, but I want to. But that, like, I don't, like what, what situation would you be in where there, you have to make 80 fewer dicks? How many dicks did they leave in? Also, right? I don't know. I don't know. Damien says three. Damien's, Damien's wife says that he is not the leader. I need an answer. There's 80 goddamn dicks. You're wrong. I'm sorry. There's 80 plus goddamn dicks. You're wrong. So, no, the last one. Some asshat just, like, tried to dispose of his fridge and, like, threw it down a ravine. And then, like, the cops were like, no, fucking drag it back up the fucking mountain and put it back in your car, you dumb dick. Don't pollute. Give a hoot. Or, I don't fucking know. Um, also, somebody can take this drink ticket. I don't know. So, whatever. That's how the game usually works. If you win, whatever. Yeah, clap, clap. Yeah, I did it. Welcome back to the stage. Your host for the evening, Kevin Price. Hello. Thank you, Kevin Johnson. Yes. I did ask him if he wanted to give a bio, and then he said, I, I like, don't do that much other writing stuff. And I did almost send an email that was like, but I'm sure you do something that, tell, just tell me something nice about yourself. But like, I just sounded, there was no way to not sound totally like a first grade teacher. <laughs> but, but if you want that drink ticket, go see him. All right, now, now for, oh, so it's, it's spoken for. I'm sorry, forget it. All right, and now, skewer friends, it is time for the debate. The way the debate works is pretty straightforward. We have two writer, comedian, personality type people. They have opening statements on a topic. I've assigned the topics. We'll get to what it is in a second. 
but we've already kind of had a preempt of it in, in the opening. Uh, they both give their opening statements. Then they go to, like, the, you know, the grueling death cage where I throw questions at them, and they have to, like, fight over those questions like it's a steak in between their teeth. And then they have closing statements. And then, by applause, you decide who wins this skewer. Hello. Hello, the skewer. I'm doing the Instagram, or the beauty... YouTuber, yeah, thing. So the camera focuses with it. <laughs> All right. What was that? So what's on the end of it? It's just a little sparkly doodle. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's a bobble. I was going to say doer, like, um, you know, the man who paints, the little calming man who paints. What's his name? Bob Ross. Bob Ross. He calls things doers. Anyway. Let's bring our two debaters to the stage. Our first debater is Kevin Fergus. Kevin Fergus is a comedian, writer, improviser based in Chicago. You can see him doing sketch with his team Fiasco at the Crown Theater, Crowd Theater on Fridays and doing solo sketch at variety shows around the city. He is lukewarm on Quentin Tarantino, but red hot on winning debates. Put it together for Kevin Fergus. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Hello. Our other contestant is Tom Harrison. Tom Harrison is the co-producer of this show, The Skewer, and host and GM of comedy RPG podcast Shuffle Quest. Put it together for Tom Harrison. Here are our beautiful debaters. Let me tell you a little bit about our topic. As I already mentioned at the top of the show, Quentin Tarantino is back with the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood about the murder of actress Sharon Tate at the hands of the Manson family. The filming, film is coming out just one year after Tarantino was publicly accused of onset negligence that resulted in the permanent injury of actress Uma Thurman on the set of Kill Bill. Around the same time as those accusations came out, Tarantino admitted to having ignored the abuses of Harvey Weinstein throughout his career. Now, as I've already mentioned, I am attempting to psychically murder Quentin Tarantino (laughs) with my mind. It's hard to design a personal hell for someone like Quentin Tarantino for when I succeed, because any amount of violent retribution dealt to him would be entertaining and gratifying to him. (laughs) But still, it is time that we deal with this shit stain, and I just really need to luxuriate in the thought of him suffering right now. I just need it for my health. And so I ask you, skewer debaters, what personal hell should Tarantino be sent to? (laughs) Kevin, what will you be arguing for? Uh, Quentin Tarantino's personal hell will be uh, him being forced to make relaxing nature documentaries about completely nonviolent animal species that live on an alien planet where feet do not exist. (laughs) Tom Harrison, what will you be advocating for? I will be advocating that Quentin Tarantino be placed in an inescapable room filled with books by such prominent authors as Jane Austen, Octavia Butler, and Nella Larson, and he will have no writing implements and no mouth to speak and no other people around. (laughs) So those are the two personal hells we're going to hear these two debaters advocate for. Uh, so now it's time for opening statements. I think we normally kind of go with who, who wants to go first. Does anybody have a strong preference? I'll go. All right. All right. Kevin, take it away. All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here. I was excited when I got this topic because I actually am a very specific type of empath where I can watch his filmography 
and I do know like the exact memories that led him to make all his movies the way that he does. Um, so I was able to think of this great personal hell for him. Um, so I'm going to go through uh, everything I said one by one. And again, fully, it is... Um, He's being forced to make relaxing nature documentaries about completely nonviolent animal species that live on an alien planet where feet do not exist. So uh, for the l- relaxing one, he's, um, and you won't uh, be surprised, Quentin Tarantino is one of those people that always says, like, I'm like a shark. I c- I'm always moving. He like, is always saying that in conversations. He's one of those people. Um, <laughs> That's why his movies are always like, so go, 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 go. Um, and uh, he can't relax. Um, and it's like physically painful for him to imagine, you know, the experiences of another human being whose life is not like his. So um, it will be really hard for him to make relaxing films when he's in hell. Um, nature. Okay, so Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Los Angeles, Glorious Bastards, Paris, uh, and Berlin, The Hateful Eight. I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> anyways, this all comes from a really bad camping trip that he took uh, when he was seven years old. His stepbrother, Parker, said there was a bear on the loose to scare him. Uh, he couldn't sleep all night. Um, he's been suffering from insomnia his whole life, and that was the first time he ever couldn't fall asleep at night. And if he ever films anything not in a major... American or European city, um, he thinks about that horrible camping trip, so this will be horrible for him. Um, (laughs) Documentaries, um, so all of his movies are fiction, narrative fiction, we all uh, know that, Um, and that's because, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the uh, documentary series 7-Up, it's a series of, it's about, uh, starts uh, interviewing all these British children when they're 7 years old, and they remake them. Uh, they reshoot them every seven years. So then it's 14 up, 21 up, uh, starting the 60s, still going on today. I think one just came out this year. Anyways, Bruce is a kid from 7 Up who's mercilessly been bullying Quentin Tarantino his entire life. That's, it's not in the film, but uh, Bruce um, just fucking, uh, he like calls Quentin and is like, you fucking suck. Um, he, um, <laughs> he actually, uh, fun fact, rigged the 1994 Oscars. Uh, Pulp Fiction did actually win the votes, but then Bruce like actually rigged it, so Forrest Gump did win Best Picture. Um, <laughs> so Quentin Tarantino hates documentaries because of his long-standing rivalry with Bruce, one of the kids from the documentary series 7 Up. <laughs> um, violence. Um, every time he commits an act of violence, it's not just that he enjoys violence and it's fun. Um, he's working out his frustration on both Bruce and Parker, so uh, in hell we'll be taking that away from him. Animals. Um, he ate a bowl of animal crackers with cereal um, as a kid, and his stepbrother Parker was like, hey, you idiot, that's not cereal. Then uh, he called Bruce, and then him and Bruce made up a little whole song about it, like, Quentin doesn't know what cereal is. Quentin doesn't know what cereal is. Um, it was insane. And he's, so if he ever films an animal, um, that's what he's thinking of. That's why all his characters are human. Um, alien planets. Um, pretty weird. Like, think about... he. Loves kung fu movies, horror movies. Pretty weird that he's never made a sci-fi movie or anything on an alien planet. Well, Quentin, uh, he's 14 years old. It's 1977. Um, He takes a girl, Susie Wexler, uh, to the drive-in to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, he He leans towards her and gave her a kiss that was his first kiss. And Susie says to him, that's the worst kiss I ever saw. You'll never please a single woman. And if you end up... Uh, 
If it turns out that you're gay or bisexual, you won't please a man either. You're never going to please anybody, Quentin Tarantino. Um, then she unzipped... She unzipped herself, like, so it wasn't her. It was a costume. She unzipped herself. It wasn't Susie Wexler. It was his stepbrother, Parker. Um, in the back seat was Bruce from the 7-Up series of films, filming all of it. Um, and then you go into, uh, and feet do not exist. A lot of people think feet, feet, the feet are a sex thing. It's just uh, when he's filming a pair of feet, uh, that's the only time his mind quiets and it all goes away. Um, so we're taking that from him. And that's one by one why all of these things will be Quentin Tierno's personal health. Thank you. Kevin Fergus, thank you so much. <laughs> and now, our second opening statement, Tom Harrison. Hey. Hello. There we go. Now, folks, I know and agree that Quentin Tarantino is canceled. It's the truth. I'm not going to argue that. That said, I did have some trouble writing this assignment for two reasons. First, and this is just an unavoidable flaw I have by virtue of being a cis, white, straight man, is that I really like Quentin Tarantino's movies. Reservoir Dogs, good. Pulp Fiction, it's good. Jackie Brown, haven't seen it. Probably good. Uh, <laughs> Kill Bill, good. Inglorious Bastards, good. Django Unchained, good. Hateful Eight, haven't seen it. Uh, the new one, haven't seen it. Sorry, folks. I like it. I like the movies. <laughs> I know when an artist gets canceled, there's like a rush to like display the fact that you always thought their art was bad to like prove to everyone that you're a prescient genius with unflinching moral clarity. But folks, when Lucy Liu chops off the guy's head, to me, that's good to watch. <laughs> so so the first, that was a joke. But the second thing where I struggled, where I actually struggled a lot, which is that the fucking No Foot Planet is a thousand times worse for him. Like, I'm sorry. Like, why am I even talking? Tar Tarantino, this motherfucker is a foot pervert. I I'm not saying this judgmentally. I'm saying he's a foot pervert in the same way, like, you'd say someone is blonde. It's just a fact of their existence. I, wa I want you to go on a journey with me. Imagine... Imagine, bring it up in your mind. Imagine you're a famous artist. You are nearly universally beloved. Your work has been critically and commercially successful, wildly so, for your entire adult life. Your every move is news that your entire industry sits up at attention for. Now further imagine that in addition to all of that, Every single person on the planet thinks of you as the famous foot pervert who goes gaga when the little piggies go to market. The absolute ape who wriggles like a giddy eel when the sweeties show their feeties. You know for a fact that as soon as you do foot pervert shit, 
everyone is going to immediately stop engaging with your movie and start hooting and hollering at you. <laughs> Literally, the only thing you have to do to quiet this perception is make one fucking movie where you do not zoom in and out on a hot lady's bare feet while a voiceover you recorded goes, awooga, awooga. Hey, fellas, this is tops to me. And the pervert energies are so fucking strong inside of you, you can't even do that. Imagine if you worked at an office and everyone constantly made fun of you by calling you the guy... You, sorry, by calling you the guy who attaches erotic Sonic the Hedgehog fanfic to all their emails. <laughs> and you, you heard them say that every day. And it hurt every time they said it. Like, it really got to you. And still... Every time you're about to send an email, you're like, oh, fuck, almost forgot the fanfic. <laughs> but now on to my actual topic. <laughs> Tarantino is an unusual example of the canceled media man, since his offenses have less to do with active acts of overt malice and evil towards women, and more to do with total apathy and disregard for their well-being. It's an insidious, deep-rooted, and nuanced misogyny that's easy to explain away, since there isn't like an obvious, incontrovertible crime to point to. Well, he's a bit of an asshole, but he writes more complex roles for women than most people in Hollywood. Well, he's a little rough with his actresses, but at least he's not Harvey Weinstein. Well, he knew all about Harvey Weinstein and let him operate unimpeded. But when Lucy Liu chops off the guy's head, to me, that's good to watch. <laughs> The insidiousness here is why I struggled at first with this topic, because he's not the kind of loud and proud misogynist that we're used to seeing. Like, being surrounded by the works of illustrious non-male writers doesn't actually seem like it'd be all that bad on its face for Tarantino. Like, that's just my read on his public persona. Like, he's a famous, famously voracious consumer of art who loves to remix and recontextualize the things he loves in his own films. He'd probably find a lot of inspiration to work with, with the work that surrounds him. And that's when I realized the critical issue that turns this scenario into his personal hell. It's the no mouth. It's the no writing implements. It's the complete inability to take the art these women have spent their lives creating and make it useful to him personally. This is a man who let a violent criminal prey on women for decades because it was useful to him who willfully endangered the life of an actress with whom he had a long-standing creative partnership because to do so was useful to him, who unceremoniously ended that partnership when the injury his own recklessness caused rendered her no longer useful to him. It's not that he hates women as like a rule and thinks that a girl book is inherently yucky. It's subtler than that. It's more insidious than that. It's that his behavior shows him to be a man who sees the world as a set of things that may or may not be useful to him. 
Like, imagine him reading Octavia Butler's Kindred. If you're not aware, it's a terrifying and nuanced sci-fi story about the horrors of American slavery. Imagine him reading that and being like, holy shit, this fucking kicks ass. Oh, man, there's, like, so much here I could have added to Django. Man, you know what? I should just adapt this. Like, this is exactly my kind of thing. It'd give me an opportunity to prove I'm not just the foot pervert and that I do respect women. I could probably cast myself in a bit part as a bad guy who says the N-word. It's okay to say the N-word if the guy's a bad guy. (laughs) If you're an artist and you've been lucky enough to experience inspiration, it's overrated. You know... You know how primal a need it is. It's a physical need to get it out of you as soon as you can. And in this hell, he can't. He'll just have to sit and feel the walls of books staring down at him, saying, we are not for you to use. You cannot exploit us. You cannot defend yourself. You cannot rationalize it away. You cannot hope we forget. We stand alone, complete, Without you, you, Mr. Foot Pervert, are canceled. Tom Harrison. All right, friends, now it's time for these two little puppies to fight over the meat that I throw at them. <laughs> this is the kind of question and answer period. Uh, I'm going to move this little, little guy so that you both. So I have some questions for our debaters that kind of are for both of them to respond to. Some of them are a little bit more tailored to their individual uh, hells that they've been talking about. Let's start with a general one. Uh, in a world, so both of you can kind of step up at your leisure and each answer this one. Uh, in a world without future Tarantino films, because he will be dead and he will be in hell <laughs> because of my psychic energy, what media will the worst men in society attach themselves to instead? And how do we prevent that? Fortnite, make video games illegal. (laughs) Isn't it already Rick and Morty canceled that show? Yeah. (laughs) All right, yes. (laughs) No video games, no Rick and Morty. Okay, that was easy. That was easy. (laughs) Uh, Kevin, uh, do you think there's any risk of Tarantino finding a way to turn his peaceful, no-foot alien nature documentaries into a schlocky pastiche of spaghetti western or samurai films? And if so, what else do we have to do to kind of throw up barriers in the way of that? Um, I do think that could be a risk, uh, but they couldn't be violent, so that would be torturous to him because that's the only thing he connects to. He doesn't connect to, like, the themes or the, like, politics or anything. He only connects to the violence, so I think... um, even if he could turn it into a samurai f- film, it would still be him stopping short of um, what actually satisfies him about it. So I still think it would be torture. If I could addendum, just imagine, like, imagine he had to make a movie where like a samurai just spends all his time like repairing the tatami mats in his home. <laughs> mm, mm. I, I'm getting ASMR tingles already. <laughs> Uh, Tom, is there any lesson, imagining that Tarantino is a human who can think and learn, uh, well, is there the any lesson you particularly hope he could learn from the books he'll be reading for eternity? Oh, God. Well, okay. So here's the, the truth. You gave me three particular authors. Octavia Butler, I've read Kindred, and that's all. Nella Larson, I had previously never heard of. Uh, Jane Austen fucking whips, and I love her. Uh, so I guess the message is uh, Pride and Prejudice is anime. It's great. Uh, yeah. 
I don't, I don't have anything else. Sorry, my brain just... I was looking for a joke, and it didn't happen. Jane, I think I have it. I think I have it. Jane Austen invented the soon deer. Nobody... Okay, nobody watches anime here. All right, fuck me. All right, fine. Um, all right, now, in this debate, we're purposefully avoiding violent retribution for Tarantino too much because there'd basically be no way to enact violence on him that wouldn't give him some amount of childlike glee to witness. But if you had to pick a way... If you had to pick a way for him to die, debaters, what would you like to see it be? I would uh, feed him through a wood chipper because you know he has a huge chip on his shoulder about the Coen brothers that they got more respect. (laughs) So a a cool samurai. No. (laughs) Let's be real. A cool... Okay, it's just Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. She would come, like fucking jump off a table to slice his head off with a katana, but like halfway through she'd sneeze and like it'd twist and she'd just whap his neck really hard with the broad part and then it would just go scene missing and then it would cut to like his fucking great, like he's already buried and everyone's got the umbrellas. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings me to my final question. Uh, If you had to design a personal heaven for Uma Thurman, what's some nice stuff that you'd like to have her experience? Nice things. <laughs> nice things are funny. Yeah, yeah. Just like a, just like a nice place. <laughs> just, a nice place. <laughs> just like fun. Like everything's, everything's fine. Yeah, and the memory of having just done the murder that you just described. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like a nice little. I'm picturing like an Italian village. Sheets, fresh pasta. Every night, um, and yeah, I don't. There's like a she has uh, she has a bunch of Oscars, and there's like I don't know, just like a Rolling Stone cover just said you were the only good thing of things about Tarantino movies. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it's nice to feel good sometimes. <laughs> All right, this concludes our question and answer debate portion. And now that brings us to our closing statements. I always forget if we're supposed to switch order or do the same. Okay, so starting off our closing statements, Tom Harrison. (laughs) Getting ready to turn the page quickly so that I don't waste time. And in doing so, waste the most time. Folks... I'm not sure if I can in good conscience tell you to vote for me since the foot shit, like, it would torment him more. That's just the facts. I'm sorry. But I will say this. I don't know if it's okay to like Tarantino movies anymore with, what with him being canceled and having a history of using his power to hurt people and what with his weird obsession with finding ways to say the N-word, but actually it's okay for me to say it and what with his absolute fixation on extreme violence, considering how much he's endangered people in real life. I don't think I'm going to see the new movie. I don't think I'm going to be supporting his work in the future. But I will say, the scene in Glorious Bastards, <laughs> in the movie theater at the end, where the theater's already locked, the fire is already lit, all the Nazis are already going to die, where the titular bastards kick the door down, and absolutely murder the fuck out of Hitler. 
where they just empty dozens, hundreds, more bullets than any gun could ever hold into his ragged corpse, where it's rendered a jiggling sack of ground meat that the camera lingers on as it deforms more and more from a human body to a disgusting, shapeless, mangled mass. And then the camera turns to our heroes, glaring down their gun barrels with a burning mask of rage, hatred, and triumph. A scene where Tarantino's lifelong obsession with fetishized gore and death laser focuses onto a monstrous fascist who has never faced or rather, who never faced the totality of the justice he deserved. I'm just saying, I hope to see a day where I can watch a movie where that happens to Donald Trump. (laughs) And now with his closing statement, Kevin Fergus. All right, right, folks. So um, Tom here has done... A very good job of thinking of a scenario that would be, you know, not Quentin Tarantino's vibe. Like, he doesn't... (laughs) He probably would not love being in a library surrounded by the works of those three authors. It wouldn't be his thing. But you don't look to what is not in his movies to think of his hell. Like, if you had an uncle that's a huge Chicago Bears fan, you wouldn't send him to, like, a fancy seafood restaurant as hell because, like, it's, like, a different type of thing. You would put him on the 50-yard line and have Walter Payton tapping him for eternity, saying, I'm not your dad, and I will never be your dad. Um, and that, for Quentin Tarantino, is being and making relaxing nature documentaries, an alien planet where feet don't exist, and it's not violent. Um, yes. Um, it all goes back to Parker and Bruce from the 7-Up series. Uh, thank you for your consideration. I hope that sports metaphor helped someone understand something. (laughs) And now we get to select our winner of this beautiful bobbled skewer. And the way that we do that is by the amount of noise that we make as an audience. But before we make noise as an audience to demonstrate who we thought made the most uh, scintillating debate, we need to have a judge. Do I have any volunteers who can judge the auditory enthusiasm level? Sure. Yeah. What's your name? Carl, thank you, Carl. Everybody, let's celebrate Carl. <laughs> All right. Do you feel like you're in a good position to gauge the audio level, or do you want to... Okay, great. Beautiful. All right. So here's the deal. I'm going to ask you uh, who you think should win, and you will generate enthusiastic noise proportionate to how much you think the person should win. Um, and you should generate some amount of noise for both people because they're both very nice and they both did very good jobs. <laughs> Are we good? Yeah. All right, great. Please make some noise if you think Kevin Fergus should win this debate. Thank you very much, everybody. Please make some noise if you think Tom Harrison should win this debate. What do you think? Kevin. Kevin. All right, Kevin. Here is the beautiful skewer. Treasure it. 
Yeah, it's well, sparkly. It's diamond skewered. Yeah, it's diamond skewered. All right, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Let's put our hands together again for all of the op-ed columnists, for Kevin and the fake news quiz, for our debaters. Please tip our bartender, who has also had to do so much stuff with like turning off the lights and the sound for us. Please tip our bartender very generously. If you have some extra love to give to us in the bucket, uh, it all goes right back to the performers that are in the show, and we will see you next month. Thank you. And next month, next month, mind you, is September 4th at this very same place. Also, you can listen to us as the podcast. I'd be fucked up. That, that, that. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can come to a live show every first Wednesday of the month. Or you can subscribe to the podcast if you haven't, or give it a review, or any of those other nice, good podcast things we like so much. If you want to be on the show, you can always get in touch with us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. We love to have new people on the show. Uh, Until next time, thank you for listening, and we'll see you later.